Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'll be filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline all week long. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You may know me from VH1 Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen or VH1 Family Therapy with Dr. Jen or the Dr. Jen Show that I hosted for many years. I'm the author of a few books, The Relationship Fix, Dr. Jen's Six-Step Guide to Improving Communication, Connection, and Intimacy, Super Baby, 12 Ways to Give Your Child a Head Start in the First Three Years, The A to Z Guide to Raising Happy, Confident Kids, and also a children's book called Rockin' Babies that I co-wrote with my mom, Grammy Award-winning songwriter Cynthia Weil. I also have a column in InStyle magazine called Hump Day with Dr. Jen, where I offer sex and relationship advice. I am a mother of twins, but most importantly, I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I am here to answer all of your questions. Feel free to email me those questions at askdrjen at drjenman.com. Two ends on Jen, two ends on man, or post them on my social media at drjenman. Again, two ends on Jen, two ends on man. I want to start by talking about quarantine burnout. I'm talking to so many people who are really burnt out. They're doing a good job. They're staying at home. They're following all the guidelines, but they are finding that they are getting pretty emotionally drained and are starting to really struggle. So I wanted to talk a bit about what you can do to turn this around and have a better quarantine experience moving forward. The first thing is make some quarantine resolutions. I like to call them quarantine illusions, but I know it's a little bit hokey, but we tend to think of the first of the year as being a time to make resolutions, to evaluate our lives, to make goals, to look at our strengths, our weaknesses, to make new commitments to ourselves, but there's no time like the present. And this is a great time for self-reflection and for setting new goals, especially given the circumstances. There are things now that you may have time to do because you're staying home, maybe reorganizing that closet, which is something that you might not have been able to do. But now, because you're home more, you might be able to. So really look at what some new great goals might be to set for the remainder of the year. The second is change your scenery. Okay, so you can't plan that tropical vacation, but it doesn't mean that you can't make some changes at home. Now that we're a few months into the pandemic, a lot of people are just kind of running on autopilot. They do the same thing. They wake up, they sit at the same kitchen table, they have the same breakfast, they do their Zoom meeting, they sit in the same chair, they do everything. It's just kind of like Groundhog Day. 
But when you do that, it kind of keeps you in zombie mode. Shake things up. Rearrange your furniture. Move your kitchen table so you're looking out a different window. Put up a poster or a piece of artwork in your house that you've been putting off doing or order something that's inexpensive that you can just kind of look at to be able to see something different. Sleep where you're put your head where your toes normally are, sleep upside down, do something different. Because what you need to do is break up the visual patterns. It helps to create a shift in mood. The third thing is search for meaning. Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist who survived the Holocaust. And he studied people who survived concentration camps. And he looked at them in two different categories. The first were the group of people who, after they got out of the concentration camps, really just deteriorated and had a very difficult time with their mental health. The other group of people were those that managed to survive and thrive. And what the conclusion that he came to was that the difference between the two was that the second group that did okay afterwards looked at things in terms of they could control their internal circumstances. Well, they could they could not control that they were in a concentration camp. They could not control what was done to them, but that they could control how they responded to it. And he believed that the ultimate human freedom that can never be taken away is how we respond to things and what our belief system is about them. Use this pandemic as an opportunity to strengthen your abilities when it comes to changing your mindset like Viktor Frankl did. If he could do that in a concentration camp, we can do that while quarantined in our homes. Another thing is look for opportunity. You're stuck at home. What better opportunity to declutter? Avid face picker. You're not supposed to be touching your face right now anyway. What a perfect time to commit to not doing that. I have a girlfriend who totally cured her breakouts. She got really disciplined about her face regimen, stopped doing her at-home pimple surgeries. You know what those are. We've all done them, especially if you have one of those extraction tools. Those are dangerous. She has never felt better or looked better. Been thinking about writing a novel? Do it. Been thinking about learning a foreign language? You know what? You can do it online. This is your chance. Another thing is step out of your comfort zone. Do something that will surprise you. Take up a new skill or a hobby. I don't cook. My mother raised me on lean cuisine, frozen food, since she did not cook either. And in quarantine, I've learned to follow recipes. I cook. I bake. I make popsicles from scratch. It's one of these little kind of simple things that I feel an enormous sense of accomplishment, and it's changed my self-concept. It makes me feel more resourceful. And not to mention, it's provided my family with a lot of delicious food, many of which is really healthy, a lot, not so much. You can see pictures of it on my Instagram stories. But these are all opportunities to use this difficult time to make yourself and your life better. Right now, children and their families all over Southern California are going to bed hungry. Channel Q and Radio.com have an easy way for you to help feed local students and their families. Text the word NEED to 76278 to give a buck and put, a, put food in the mouth of a hungry kid and their loved ones. Just $1 to make a big difference. Learn more about how to feed our families on our socials at we are channelq.com. 
I'm Dr. Jen Mann, sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline. Coming up next, I'm answering a question from a woman who discovered that her husband was pursuing 400 different women, sleeping with at least 42 of them, and had given away hundreds of thousands of dollars in gifts during their marriage. She has an interesting question for me that many of you will relate to. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'll be filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline all week. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann. I got an email from a woman we'll call Donna, and she wrote about something very interesting. And she said, in 2014, I discovered that my soon-to-be ex had been cheating with a wide variety of sugar babies who he procured from various websites around the world. He had been intimate with at least 42 of them, in touch with over 400, and had paid at least one a $10,000 salary per month for a two-year period. That was a quote-unquote relationship he was in when I discovered the infidelity on an old computer he had given to our 10-year-old son. The sugar, baby had been, the sugar baby had been living in our U.S. home, and he was traveling back and forth for over two years. All in all, he has wasted millions of dollars of communal funds on these quasi-relationships. I kicked him out. Two days later, we had a major Two days later, we had a major family event, which we both attended, but did not speak to each other. The following morning, I suffered a fall, broke my leg in six places, and had two surgeries. Talk about a series of horrific events. We reconciled, sort of. We attended therapy, sort of. He thought we should divorce. I was determined to keep our marriage together. It didn't work, and four years later, he left for good and went straight back to the highly paid sugar baby. She is now living with him and our kids when they are with him. I found out about her re-entrance into the picture when she mistakenly had a load of furniture for their new place arrive to my house, the billing address for his credit card at the time. Until then, we were in a relatively civil place. Since then, we have not spoken a word outside of emails. I won't be in the same room with him, will not text or speak to him on the phone, Emails have been civil and appropriate. I feel that anything more will push me over the edge. It is also an excellent way to keep him accountable since I don't believe that he will try to back off commitments, financial or parenting, when they are in writing. A word about her. She is a known scam artist and has completely concocted a fake identity. Harvard educated, not. Wildly successful business owner, not. Part of an international brain trust, definitely not. She is young, her parents are a few months older than me, and she is everything he wanted. Someone who will do his bidding, make him the center of her world, and serve as a personal assistant and social director. Sounds like they kind of deserve each other, side note. Um, and a word about him. He is a pathological liar, a very successful and well-known executive in the business world, and a loving but misguided father. I know, I know, for the sake of our children now 21, 18, and 16, that it would be better for them if we were in a good place with each other, but I don't think that that would be the best thing for me. 
In fact, I know it would be detrimental. I'm in a beautiful new relationship and pretty happy and satisfied with my life. In fact, I'm happier than I've ever been in a long time. How important is it for my kids that I reconcile, which is in quotes, with him enough to be in the same place at the same time? My inclination is to simply tolerate his existence until the final kid leaves the house and then completely disassociate from him to the extent that that is possible. Donna. Well, first of all, my heart goes out to you, Donna. This kind of massive betrayal of trust is so incredibly painful. I can really understand why you wouldn't want to be in the same room as your soon-to-be ex. I don't blame you one bit. I think that it's great that you know yourself well enough to know that you don't want to, quote-unquote, reconcile, whatever that would mean in a situation like this, and that you're willing to tolerate him and use email for your communication. I think that that's really smart. I don't think that you have to sit around with your kids and Mrs. Sugar Baby singing Kumbaya around the campfire. I think using email for communication, which not only documents everything, but also puts a layer of distance between the two of you, making it harder to be reactive, makes it harder to say something inappropriate that might hurt you at a later date. I think that that is a wise strategy. I don't think that you need to be friends. I do, however, think that you need to be able to be polite and civil at events for your children. That should come in time, especially if you do your own work on yourself in therapy. The ink on your divorce papers isn't even dry, and it sounds like you're in the midst of a negotiation. Two out of three of your kids are adults, but you still have a lifetime of events, graduations, weddings, and so forth, that you're going to have to see the ex and the sugar baby. Do the work now so he will not have power over you during these events. Here's what you need to focus in on. Grieve the loss of the marriage that you thought that you had. Grieve the future that you hoped to have with this man. You need to forgive yourself for picking this man, not seeing things sooner or else or anything else that you find yourself obsessing about, because that's what we tend to do at the end of a relationship. Deal with the hurt and the rage that comes along with such a horrific betrayal of having a husband who looked you in the eye every day on a day-to-day basis while living a totally secret life filled with lies. In the beginning, the anger can actually be empowering. I know a lot of people are very against anger, but it can really be empowering. But at a certain point, it turns on you and it starts to do more harm to you than good. You know, that old adage, holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. There's a lot of truth to that. Understand that to let go of your anger is not to excuse the inexcusable. It doesn't mean that you forget what he did. That would be stupid and poor self-care. The goal is to get to the point where he has no power over you, where he cannot trigger you, upset you, push your buttons, and that the sight of him is neutral, even if you don't like him or respect him. Ultimately, that is where your power is. I hope that that is helpful and that you have a truly amazing support system in place. I'm really happy for you to you. I'm really happy for you that you have found love and that you're in a new, wonderful relationship. Sliding into your DMs is brought to you by Trojan Condoms. It is a big, sexy world out there, and we want you to explore it with confidence. Coming up after this break, 
I'm going to be talking about an unexpected dating shift that experts are seeing. And with the help of my friend, matchmaker Patty Stanger, I'm going to answer a question about which dating app really is the best one. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and the author of The Relationship Fix, Dr. Jen's Six-Step Guide to Improving Communication, Connection, and Intimacy. I'll be filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline all week. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on Mann. Before I start talking about the email that I got, I want to talk a little bit about a hot story in the news that relates to dating and relationships. It's really interesting. So apparently, Tinder's value has skyrocketed as people have rushed to join dating apps during the pandemic. Apparently, people that bought stock in Tinder are celebrating big time because its value has gone up 12% since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. The company Match Group, that also owns OkCupid, Hinge, Plenty of Fish, they reported that since March, there's been an 18% jump in subscribers on Tinder alone, bringing in more than, bringing the total to more than 6.2 million app users. The app brought in $103 million more than this time last year. What I love about this story is that it really speaks to the fact that people want to connect and meet someone great, even in a pandemic. So often I hear from people who are either in the midst of a post-pandemic breakup or are single that they're afraid that no one wants to date right now, but people are. I have to caution you. I am a doctor. I got to caution you. Please do it safely. Follow all of the guidelines that we're supposed to follow. So. This woman, Janice, writes me a very interesting email that happens to be connected to the whole dating app thing. She asked me, what is the best recommended dating app for someone my age, 41 years old? I have had no luck on Bumble or OkCupid. Maybe it's just my area, Portland, Oregon. But guys on these apps are in open relationships, overly tattooed, pierced, or into drugs. I'm pretty normal. I put that in quotes, her words, not mine. I'm just looking for my partner in life. This is going to be the year I committed to dating and then COVID-19 happened. I would prefer to get started now instead of waiting until the pandemic is over. Would love it if you have any tips on the best dating sites and advice to date during the pandemic. Well, Janice, I spoke to my dear friend, Patty Sanger, who is known as Millionaire Matchmaker about what's going on with you. And here's what she said. I'm going to quote her before I give you my dating advice because she knows about the specifics of dating apps better than I do. She says, quote, I would suggest Hinge because its geolocator may find great gents close to you. Oftentimes on this app, you may see this local guy at the grocery store and can say, hey, I saw you on Hinge, which opens the icebreaker gates to flirting. The other app that's more well, the other app that has more well-established men is The League, but you must have someone refer you. 
You can join my club, that's Patty's club, not my club, as a non-millionaire-s for free. It's millionairesclub123.com. Our men are not just wealthy, but are gentlemen. So thank you so much, Patty. I so appreciate your help on this one. So there you go, Janice. Three great options, three great sites. I also want to offer you a couple of quick dating tips for dating during a pandemic. You know, the criteria for a mate has changed for a lot of people. You know, because of what's going on, people usually look for a partner who's fun and sexy and a good dancer. But now in COVID, we want a partner with a good supply of toilet paper, the ability to work from home, and a similar approach to what constitutes a proper quarantine. Also, a lot of singles are really prioritizing political beliefs. If, if you're into and support something that is very important to you, it's important that you have someone who has the same morals and values and ethics. And at the same time, it's a tough situation because we've all been advised, don't talk politics on a first date, don't let things get too heavy, but it is important to dis- to discuss these things early on to make sure that you're on the same page and that you're compatible. In my experience, both clinical and personal, most people are at their most honest on a first date. It may seem like a brain teaser that you're supposed to be very forthcoming, but at the same time, you're not supposed to be emotionally loose and reveal too much. But that's what date interview skills That's why date interview skills are so tough to pin down. But think of a date like a job interview. You know, don't drink on the date. You want to make sure that you are clear-headed, that you're able to evaluate the other person, that you're able to ask good questions, and don't reveal too much personal information too soon. What we know about the psychology of developing intimacy is that it's most effective when it's done gradually. Spend enough time on Zoom to know if he's worth putting on a pair of pants and worth doing a socially distanced date and worth any kind of risk of exposure, even on a socially distanced date. One of the benefits of dating during the age of social distancing and all of these stay-in-place orders is that you don't have the opportunity to let lust and chemistry get the best of you. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that I have said, hey, you know what? Your Achilles heel in dating has been jumping into bed too soon and everyone seems really great after you've had a couple of good O's, but this is the opportunity not to fall into old habits. And it doesn't matter how cute your Zoom date is, you can't jump into bed together. You have to get to know each other. And this is a positive because if you're looking for a meaningful relationship like Janice is, talking and getting to know each other over time, the more time, the better. That's really the best way to do this. I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline. Coming up next, I'm answering a question from a woman who doesn't know if she can trust her boyfriend ever again. I'm curious to know what you think, and you can guarantee that I will let you know what I think. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'll be filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline all week long. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on man. So this woman, Delana, writes me and says, my boyfriend, as far as I'm concerned, cheated. 
I caught him on Tinder messaging someone. See, if you were listening to the last segment, he's one of those Tinder users that's making the stock go up. He had girls flirting in the DMs. He was still talking to an ex, not sex cheating, but still cheating. He has a bunch of life issues and since then has had to move temporarily and we haven't been seeing each other, but we've talked for months. We're working on repairing us. He seems dedicated, seems remorseful, wants to be with me and says he sees a future, all good things. But how often is this change really possible? In quarantine and being separated, everything is easy to say versus actually do. We'll be seeing each other and we'll be reunited in the fall. Do I keep this hope that I have that we're really the exception to the rule and that we can survive and flourish? And when we are together again, what timeline of things, actions, should I look for that maybe say, hey, it's time to find a new man? Well, Delana, it's a little unclear exactly what he did, but it's very clear that he was on the hunt for women. He had bad boundaries. He hid his behavior from you. And it sounds like he violated an agreement between the two of you. It also sounds like this is not a one-time mistake, but rather a pattern of behavior. And that's problematic because that's a character issue. You can teach a person good communication skills. I do that all the time as a therapist. You can teach them relationship skills, but you cannot teach them character. And it sounds like he's lacking in that area. I think it's great that he's remorseful. Although I got to tell you, I got to be honest, I can't help but wonder, is he remorseful about what he did or is he just remorseful that he got caught? Only you can evaluate that. In my book, as a therapist, words are cheap. What actions is he taking to make sure he never does this again? Is he in therapy? You said that he has a bunch of life issues. What is he doing to improve himself and his life? What's he doing to become a better partner? There are low-cost clinics around this country who will see people based on their ability to pay. And now in a pandemic, most of them are offering teletherapy that you can do from the comfort of your own home. Is he being transparent with his phone? I know you're not in the same place, but has he given you codes to his social media so you can take a look in his DMs to see if he's continuing this behavior? If you get a bad gut feeling, can you check? You know, look, this is not a good long-term solution, but after someone has betrayed your trust like this, it is a good way to prove to your partner that you're not doing anything that you shouldn't be doing. What is he doing to regain your trust? What is he doing to repair the damage that he has done to the relationship? You really need to see good behavior over time. My concern is that his bad behavior has historically been really secretive. So there needs to be a very high level of transparency. There needs to be a very high level of transparency in order to win your trust back. Obviously, this is harder when he is however many miles away that you're not living in the same place, you're not living in the same city. So it's a lot harder to track whether he's being honest with you because it's harder to, to see him. You don't even get to look him in the eye on a day-to-day basis other than, I'm sure, you know, FaceTime or Zoom. So it makes it a lot harder to assess whether he's being honest and clean. But again, we really have to look at, Delana, this is a pattern of behavior. This is not a one-time mess up. This is a pattern. And that is something that you really need to take into account as you figure out whether you want to be with this guy. 
You can't be with him ultimately if you cannot trust him. I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline. Coming up next, I'm answering a question from a man whose girlfriend doesn't want to have sex with him anymore, ever. And I'm going to talk about something that couples fight about 217 times a year on average, and it's not what you think. I'm Dr. Jen Mann, licensed psychotherapist sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline, and I will be right back. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. You may know me from VH1 Couples Therapy or VH1 Family Therapy with Dr. Jen. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and I'll be filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline all week long. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, the works, at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on man. So I got this interesting email from someone named Alex. And he seems to be very confused, understandably so, about his relationship with his girlfriend. He writes me and says, Hi, Dr. Jen. I'm trying to understand if my girlfriend really likes me. We're in an exclusive relationship. We've had sex about 10 times in the last four years. She has told me she loves me, and I have told her that I love her. We spent the night together once at a hotel. We see each other as much as we can. Sometimes she lags on testing Sometimes she lags on texting me back. She has four daughters that she is raising without the father. Also, she told me Thursday that having sex with me hurts and that we cannot have sex anymore. She has not seen a doctor. Not having sex is going to be a problem. I need to have sex. From what I divulge, do you think that she likes me or loves me? Alex. Oh, Alex, 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 I am really sorry to be the bearer of bad news. It just sounds like she is not that into you. She doesn't sound very responsive with her communication. She sounds really unavailable, whether it's by choice or because she just doesn't have the time. She sounds emotionally unavailable as well. You're four years into the relationship and you're not even clear how she feels about you. That says a lot about how verbal she is, how she communicates with you, about the messaging that she gives you, that four years into a relationship, you don't know where she stands. That's That really indicates to me a real lack of emotional availability on her end. The fact that you've had so little sex over the course of four years is really interesting. It sounds like she never mentioned to you that she was in pain. You seem surprised about this new information, which makes me wonder if it's true. If maybe she was embarrassed to tell you that she was in pain, which is a whole other problem in and of itself. Why is she not comfortable enough with you to tell you what's going on when you guys are sleeping together? And also that you were not tuned into her during sex to know that she was in pain that says something too. 
you know, maybe she's got a history of sexual trauma that's making her not want to have sex. It sounds like she's done a really good job avoiding having sex over the course of the four years. And maybe that's an indicator of something else that she has not worked through, something else that's going on for her related to some kind of trauma earlier in her life. But either way, it sounds like this woman is pretty unavailable for a romantic sexual relationship. It seems like the relationship has been totally lacking in connection, communication, and depth for quite some time. You guys honestly seem like you would be better off as friends. So I'm really sorry, Alex, to be the bearer of bad news, but this just doesn't sound like this is the woman for you. Before we go to the break, I want to share something with you. Before we go to the break, I want to share something with you that you may relate to. There's one thing that couples fight over surprisingly frequently. According to a new survey done by According to a new study done by Finnish, the average American household will fight about doing the dishes 217 times a year. That's 18 dish-based arguments a month. Six in 10 people say they get stressed out about thinking about doing the dishes. I relate to this one. Arguments include who should load the empty dishwasher, leaving the dishes in the sink to soak, leaving dirty dishes in the sink when the dishwasher is empty, not washing the dishes right away. My God, I feel like these people have been like spies in my house. I so relate to this one. I don't know if you do too, but if you have been having dish conflict in your house, clearly you are not alone. And if it's frequent, well, again, you're not alone. 217 fights a year. That's a lot of fighting about dishes. Right now, children and their families all over Southern California are going to bed hungry. Channel Q and Radio.com have an easy way for you to help feed local students and their families. Text the word NEED to 76278 to give a buck and put food in the mouth of a hungry kid and their loved ones. Just one dollar to make a big difference. Learn more about Feed Our Families on socials at wearechannelq.com. I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I'm sitting in here for Dr. Chris on Loveline on Channel Q. Coming up next, I'm answering a question from a woman who is trapped living in a house with her abusive in-laws. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and the author of The Relationship Fix, Dr. Jen's Six-Step Guide to Improving Communication, Connection, and Intimacy. I'll be filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline all week. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on man. So I'm going to read this email from this woman who is really in a terrible, terrible bind. She says, first, I'm going to start by saying how much I admire you. I watch you on couples therapy and I love your work. You're a great therapist. Thank you so much. The reason I'm emailing you is because I've been depressed for a while now and tried talking to some therapists, but I just feel worse than ever. 
I'm originally from South Africa. I came into this country in 2009 as an au pair and decided to stay so I can better myself since there were a lot of opportunities in this country. In 2011, I met my husband and got married fast without getting to know him and ended up getting pregnant. Soon after, I found out he had a drug addiction. We moved state to state because he could not keep a job. When my son was two years old, I sent him to be with my mom in South Africa so I could save money and be by myself. In 2017, he was four and I got him back. I got myself a car and a job at a hospital, but I wasn't making enough. So my husband's dad invited us to his home where he lived with his one son. We moved in and I started school. My husband and I have been separated since I took my son to South Africa, and he has no relationship with his family whatsoever. As much as I appreciate the help I'm getting, this environment has been really toxic. My father-in-law talks to me like I'm nothing. He screams at my son, and he's an angry person. I try not to focus on that, but instead to focus on my end goal. Lately, I feel like I'm sad all the time and I can't afford to move out because I'm not making enough and my ex doesn't work or pay child support. This is affecting my performance in school and I feel like I'm never going to get anywhere feeling like this, yet I need my degree so I can move out and be independent. What a bind. Please advise. I don't have any family members here to help with my son except for this family. Now I'm going to call her Jane Doe because she has a very distinct name and I would like to protect her anonymity. So Jane, I, I have some words of advice for you and some information that I want for you to think about. You know, it's you're in such a difficult and such a terrible position and it's such a double bind because you're kind of, you're screwed if you stay and you're screwed if you go. And so I want for you to hear all of this information so that you can make the best possible choice. And I have a few ideas for you. So look, I don't blame you for being depressed. This kind of situation would make anybody depressed. It doesn't matter how mentally healthy you are to be in a position where you're treated poorly, your son is screamed at, and you're with someone who's angry all the time. I'm sure you're walking on eggshells all the time around this angry guy. That will breed depression. And it sounds like you feel very helpless and trapped, which also is the way to feel depressed, you know, it's understandable and normal. This sounds like such an abusive situation, not just for you, but also for your son. And I'm particularly worried about the damage that this is doing to his self-esteem. Being in a verbally abusive home makes kids more vulnerable to anxiety, depression, addiction, and a whole host of other mental health concerns. Your son is already vulnerable. He's had a two-year separation from you, his mom, and you are his primary attachment, and that's very hard on a child. He's been completely abandoned by his father, which is also another concern, and now he's home watching you being treated terribly and is being screamed at, which is just absolutely terrifying for a child. That will raise his anxiety level without a doubt, and is really bad for him. He's got cortisol flowing through his, his little body all the time, and that's not good for his health. 
I would recommend you get out as soon as possible. I would rather see you share a studio apartment with another mom and work together to raise your kids in a calm environment until you can earn enough money to get on your own. Maybe what you could do is ask one of your old friends at the hospital, ask them if they know anyone, ask some of your new friends at school, ask around, see if anybody knows anybody that is honorable and honest and who you could share an apartment with. Again, I'd rather you be in a studio apartment with five people as long as they're safe and not harmful to your son, but you need to get out as soon as possible before these people do more damage to your mental health and to your son's mental health. So uh, Jane, I'm so, so sorry that you're going through this and I don't blame you for feeling like you're in such a bind. You know, one side note, you mentioned that you started therapy, but you felt worse. Sometimes when it comes to therapy, we feel worse before we feel better. It's not necessarily a sign that the therapy isn't working because when we dredge up all of the emotions and the feelings and the stuff that got us to the bad position that we're in, it can bring up some new pain. But if you go through that, you'll get to the other side and it will help you to feel better. So I, I hope that you revisit therapy. Sliding into our DMs is brought to you by Trojan Condoms. It is a big, sexy world out there, and we want you to explore it with confidence. I'm Dr. Jen Mann, sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline. Coming up next, I'm answering a question from a woman who writes me wanting to know why she does not have the same answer to the question, what do you miss most in quarantine, that all of her friends do. I wonder if any of you feel the same way she does and if you'd admit it. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'll be filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline all week. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on Mann. So I got a very interesting email from a woman who we'll call Barbara. She writes me and she says, hi, Dr. Jen, as a result of quarantine and COVID-19, I hear so many people say that the thing they miss most is family. What's wrong with me if I don't miss my family? I'm 56 years old. I have an 86-year-old mom, a sister, and her large family. I have two grown sons, both single. I have an adult stepdaughter and her one-year-old son. I have my 80-year-old in-laws. I have a husband and a dog. So it's just us in our downtown high-rise condo in Austin, Texas. Our three grown kids live in Austin, but no family does. I have feelings of guilt when I ask myself the question, what do I miss most? And honestly, my family is not one of them. I would never admit that to anyone out loud. I did tell my husband so he knows. So my question for you is, why would I feel that way? What's wrong with me that I don't feel like almost everyone else in the world? And what can I do about my feelings of guilt around this? Well, first of all, Barbara, I really appreciate that you are trusting me when you when you say that you can't even say this out loud to anyone other than your husband. So I really appreciate that you're sharing this with me. And I have a feeling that there are other people who are listening who probably are going through the same thing and probably feel really bad about it too. Typically, this 
kind of lack of attachment happens for one of two reasons. The first is this tends to happen if you got dealt a bad hand when it comes to relatives. But it sounds like that's not really the case. You're not describing anyone in your family who's abusive or really nasty or mean. And it also sounds like you have such a big family that I would expect for you to have like one or two people that you feel attached to. It's really interesting that you're not really missing your kids at all. I'd be interested in knowing what kind of relationship you have with them and what that's been like over the years. It may just be that you're just not super compatible personality-wise with your family members. Sometimes that happens where it just kind of, you're really different than your other family members and it just doesn't gel. You love them, but you're just kind of not as attached to them. The other possibility, and this one I give a lot of weight, the other possibility is attachment related. Many people experience attachment issues. Typically, psychology teaches us that our ability to attach to other people is developed in the first three years. Those are the most important years when it comes to attachment. And we have a parent or parents who are not very responsive to our cries or our needs, like when we're a baby, what we learn is that the world is an unreliable, scary place. And we tend to not attach to people in a strong way because we feel like, oh, I can't rely on them. I'm on my own. And it's hard to feel a strong bond with someone who, as an infant, isn't taking care of you, isn't there for you, isn't providing for you food, a diaper change, a cuddle, all that sort of stuff. It does sound like you're attached to your husband, which is really wonderful. And I can't help but wonder what your first three years were like. Sometimes parents who mean well may be unavailable to respond for their own mental health issues, that it's not that they were abusive or horrible, but sometimes they're not reliable responders because maybe your mom has postpartum depression when you were born or someone in the family has addiction or your parents are distracted because they're experiencing a lot of economic distress or they're having other difficulties or other issues. What I would recommend that you do is to start off by doing some reading about attachment issues. There are a lot of great books all about attachment. Just go to Amazon and start doing searches and see if there's anything that you read that you identify with or that you find to be particularly helpful. Because I think that will help you see it from a different light and to understand attachment on a deeper level. I also really recommend therapy because this is causing you some distress and it sounds like you've never had any therapy from the way you're describing all of this. I always recommend that everybody have at least one year of weekly therapy in order to get to know themselves, to learn new skills, to gain insight, to get new tools. It can be really helpful and make your life better. And I think that you're so um, kind of distraught by your lack of attachment to these people that I think it really warrants a closer look. I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline. Coming up next, I'm answering a question from a divorced guy who is struggling to co-parent in a pandemic that his ex does not take seriously. To help me answer this question, I brought in the big guns. My friend, celebrity divorce attorney, Laura Wasser. 
she's got some insight and I've got some advice. Hi, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I am filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline all week long. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and I will be answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann. So I got this email from Kevin. He says, co-parenting seems to be harder these Co-parenting seems to be harder these days. I don't agree with my ex on traveling or attending school. She refuses to let our child get tested, even after being around someone who tests positive for the virus or traveling to the beach. She's using the 14-day quarantine to her benefit and refuses to compromise on safety guidelines. I'm left wondering when I'll see my daughter again or... When I do, how long it will be until I see her again? How do I approach someone that is strong-willed and doesn't want to co-parent effectively? I don't want to get the court systems involved and put our child through more stress. Where in the middle ground, where is the middle ground and how do you find it? Any advice or encouragement is greatly appreciated. Well, Kevin, you couldn't control your ex-wife when you were married to her, and now that you're divorced, it's even more difficult. In addition to making dangerous choices for your child and for herself, it sounds like she's using this virus to keep your child away from you. This is incredibly upsetting and disturbing. Before I get to the psychological advice, I want to share some information from my friend, Laura Wasser. She's a celebrity divorce attorney. You've probably seen her in a million different magazines and on TV. She also has a website called It's Over Easy, where people can do their own divorce paperwork at a massive discount. Here's what she said. Notwithstanding the shutdowns of many family law departments and courthouses around the country, Task forces comprised of judicial officers, attorneys, and mediators have come together to speak, write, and educate parents on the best means of co-parenting during these uncertain times. On a case-by-case basis, decisions need to be made to keep families safe. That being said, most experts in the field advise that keeping to the court-ordered custody plan is beneficial to the kids if it is possible if it is possible. If if it isn't, adjustments may be made to ensure that kids are having frequent and continuous contact with the non-custodial parent. Zoom, drive-bys, etc. On the It's Over Easy blog, we have an article about co-parenting during COVID and point out that implementing the three C's, cooperation, consideration, and communication will help. Also, There's an All's Fair podcast episode on the subject. Taking advantage of stay-at-home or quarantine orders is frowned upon, and if things are not being heard by a judge at this stage, they may be later, so do keep a record of your non-cooperative co-parent shenanigans. Keep things in writing. That is important. That's what she says. So I'm going to add to that. I think that Even if you don't want to take your ex-wife to court now, it's very important that you document the way she's withholding your child from you and to make sure that you document your request to see your child, to have her tested, and your desire to follow all of the safety protocols to protect your child. This is really important. It's important not just for 
keeping a paper trail, but also that your child know that you've made this attempt because we don't want her to see you as a father who has abandoned her. God only knows what your ex-wife is saying about you. I suspect there may be some alienation of affection going on in all of this. Your ex-wife's choices are incredibly disturbing since they put your child at risk. And we know, and this was discussed a lot in the media this week, that not only can children get the virus, pass the virus on, but also they can get very ill and even die from the virus. So far, we've had close to 100 children in this country die from the coronavirus. My other concern is the emotional well-being of your daughter. Like I mentioned, I don't want her to think that you've abandoned her and you don't care. You don't mention how old she is, but I recommend that you send daily emails if she's old enough to have an email account. If she's not, send cards. I recommend photocopying them or taking a picture of them because if your ex-wife is not getting them to your daughter, one day I want for you to have a box of these letters that you can give to her so she knows that every day that you thought of her and that you didn't give up and that you wanted to be with her. Because the trauma of having a father who has abandoned you is massive for kids. That really can impact everything growing up and how you see yourself and whether you believe you're lovable or not, because dads are really important. If you're not able to take your ex to court or not willing, I do recommend trying to work with a mediator or a family therapist to talk about what's in the best interest of your daughter's emotional development. Maybe if your ex-wife isn't willing to talk to you about what you want in terms of custody, maybe she might be willing to meet with an expert about what is in the best interest of your daughter. She clearly loves your daughter and wants to be with her. So maybe that is the hook to getting her in to meet with an expert. And maybe she might be open to hearing more information from a neutral third party that she won't hear from you. This kind of manipulation, keeping your daughter away from her father is incredibly harmful to her. And I would recommend doing anything that you can to make sure that you see her, at the very least on FaceTime and doing distance visits. I know you said that you want to stay away from court because your concern is that it will traumatize your daughter. But I think if she thinks that she has been abandoned by her father, that also is very traumatizing in and of itself and could be even more damaging. My heart goes out to you, Kevin, and I really, really hope that you will get to see your daughter soon. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Catch me tomorrow and all week filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline. I'm Dr. Jen Mann. You can follow us on Instagram at Dr. Jen Mann, two ends on Jen, two ends on Mann, and Loveline at Loveline. Also, catch our podcast after every show on radio.com.